0: The Holy Gospel according to Mark, the 13th chapter. Glory to you, o Lord. As Jesus came out of the temple, one of his disciples said to him, look, teacher, what large stones and what large buildings. Then Jesus asked him, do you see these great buildings? Not one stone will be left here upon another. All will be thrown down. When he was sitting on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple, Peter, James, John, and Andrew asked him privately, Tell us, when will this be? And what will be the sign that these things are about to happen? Then Jesus began to say to them, Beware that no one leads you astray. Many will come in my name and say, I am he. And they will lead many astray. When you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be alarmed. This must take place, but the end is still to come. For nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places. There will be famines. This is but the beginning of the birth pangs. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. I invite you to be seated. The first time I went to Chicago, I was, I don't remember, 18 or 19 years old. I went with my not-quite-yet husband to meet his family and see the big city. And I remember it was winter time, it was Christmas season, and we were going to see the Museum of Science and Industry. And we were going to have to walk a bit, and you know, to train stations, and then getting off the train walk a half mile up to the museum. So we were all layered up, and I even had on you know some real long underwear underneath all my clothing and my boots and so forth and I remember walking into this beautiful structure and I of course the first thing is the heats on and you're burning up now with all the layers so I have to run into the ladies room and start shedding all of these and taking off the long underwear and shoving it into my purse Well, I walk into the ladies' room and I kid you not, it was the most massive thing I had ever seen in my life as a ladies' room. And I yelled out, oh my gosh, this place is huge. There must be 50 stalls in here and rows and rows and rows of sinks. I was just stunned. And of course, there was this really nice woman uh, who was, you know, cleaned and tidied up the ladies' room. And she was a little startled at my outburst. And then when I left the ladies' ring, my husband was doubled over in laughter with tears running down his face out in the hallway, and he has never let me live it down. (laughs) What a backwoods girl I was. I mention that because I think this is probably Jesus' first disciples' first trip to the big city of Jerusalem. And it seems to be their first trip to the temple, which was one of the great architectural wonders of the world. I mean, the stones of this thing were three and a half feet tall and ten feet long and stacked on top of one another like Legos rising up on the top of this mountain to heaven. And it was covered in gold. The place was definitely impressive. Wow, look, teacher, what large stones, what a huge building, the disciples say. They're just awestruck. But instead of laughing at them as they come out of the entrance, Jesus gives a dire prediction. I tell you, not one of these stones will be left upon another. All will be thrown down. I never saw the World Trade Center standing in person. But a number of years back, on a trip to New York City, I did stand there at the uh, subway station and look down into the hole in the ground where it had stood and that huge hole was impressive enough in a sobering way. And what's even more sobering is to think that on September the 10th, 2001, no doubt a bunch of tourists from smaller places had walked by saying, wow. What big buildings. 24 hours later, not one bit was left upon another. The Gospel of Mark is written 40 years after Jesus died. And it's 40 years, I'm sorry, not after Jesus, but 40 years after the destruction of Herod's temple in Jerusalem. The whole place has been, when he writes this, the whole place has already been torn down and the stones are smashed and scattered, and it's just rubble, and it was burned out, and the only thing left are some of these massive foundation stones, which you've seen, if not in person, at least in pictures, rising up in Jerusalem, and people still to this day show up and write their prayers on little notes and tuck them into the cracks between the stones and stand there doing their prayers. The last remnant of the worship that once took place there But in the story this morning, it hasn't happened yet, this destruction. And so the disciples asked Jesus, when? When is this going to take place? How are we going to know? What's going to be the sign that all this destruction is about to be upon us? And I'm not sure why. I don't know. Maybe they wanted to prepare, you know, prepare survival kits. It seems like whenever there's a Prediction of the end of the world, a lot of people go around becoming survivalists and stockpiling everything so they can survive. Do you want to survive the destruction of everything else? I haven't ever been able to figure that out. And can you really prepare for massive, large scale disaster or for death? Predictions of disaster are nothing new. You know, the prophets, the whole history of Israel's prophets was predicting disasters. Jesus mentioned some of the really common ones that have happened since the beginning of time. Earthquakes, famines, wars, rumors of wars. In other words, business as usual. So don't be alarmed. Don't be alarmed when you hear about these things and these predictions. Don't get too impressed by big buildings. Remain steady. Hold fast to the confession of your hope without wavering because the Lord is is faithful. Trust the promises of God, get together. Have get-togethers, have dinner parties, that's what the epistle letter told us today. Have your book club discussions and your men's group breakfast. Gather for worship, encourage one another to do good works, practice forgiveness and love. This is how we prepare for the end of the world there was a huge disaster predicted 21 years ago some of you will remember that it wasn't an economic disaster it was supposed to be the end of the world as we knew it and I'm talking about the coming of the new millennium January 1st of 2000 and I know nothing happened but do you remember the Y2K predictions And especially if you were in IT, in the IT world, oh my gosh, all you did for a couple of years before that was freak out about the coming turn of the new millennium, and the news reports told us that all of our computers would fail, which means hospitals would shut down, and 911 call centers would shut down, and all support and life support would shut down, and the bank accounts would be inaccessible, and electrical grids would go out, plunging us all into the utter darkness, and there might even be explosions everywhere. Y'all remember some of that? And we were advised to stock up on canned goods, like if all of that happened, a pantry was gonna help. Non-perishable food items, make sure we had flashlights and plenty of batteries, have cash on hand, gather up your important papers, folks, and if you were really scared, you might even wanna run out and buy yourself a gun. All night, the IT professionals sat up sweating bullets and praying and chewing their lips and waiting for the moment of doom or they attended New Year's Eve parties while remaining on full alert. The ball dropped, the countdown came, minute by minute, and you know what, nothing happened except the clock said 12.01 a.m. That was like the biggest letdown of the millennium. (laughs) I was one of the unprepared souls. I had no extra groceries, no batteries, no flashlight gathered. I spent the day watching the world celebrate the new year time zone by time zone as it happened around the globe. Fireworks, symphonies, dancing, celebrations, all our hopes and visions for peace wrapped up in one glorious new day. It would be a new era. In in 2001, the World Trade Towers were toppled, but it wasn't the end, it was the beginning our country came together in a way that it hadn't in a very long time. Maybe you remember that, how people drove from all over the place, from the Midwest, to go to New York City to help neighbors that they never knew. People reached out to one another. People were jumping in their cars and station wagons and just heading to the big city to be of help. They celebrated one another. They witness to the hope they had within them in spite of the destruction all around. In that same year, three scientists were awarded the Nobel Peace Prize for their discovery of key cell regulators, which was a major breakthrough in cancer cancer research. The first residents entered the International Space Station that year plant biologists from the Universities of California and Toronto developed a tomato plant that was salt tolerant. Now one of the problems we have around the world is salt gets into soil because of irrigation and the salt then leaves deposits which then prevent plants from being able to receive the water they need through their roots and so salinated soil is unproductive, you can't do anything with it. This new tomato plant they develop not only manages to grow in salty soil and with salty water, it also acts as a sponge and soaks all the salinity up out of the soil, helping to cleanse it and restore it. The world will have famine. We can offer tomatoes. Tomatoes. On April 20th of 2010, do you remember the big oil drilling rig, Deepwater Horizon, operating there in the Macondo Prospect in the Gulf of Mexico, and oh my gosh, all of a sudden it explodes and the thing falls and, and results in the death of 11 workers, which was horrible. and it was the largest spill of oil in the history of marine oil drilling operations just massive when we watched live on tv as this spewing hose and pipe just you know funneled oil at this unbelievable rate up into the waters of the gulf of mexico four million some say 4.7 million barrels of oil flowed out of that damaged well over an 80 seven-day period as we watched and waited until they finally figured out how to get it capped on July 15th of 2010 i freaked out with that because louisiana is my home and while i didn't live on the coast i loved the coastlands and i watched and thought like everybody else oh my gosh this is going to be the end of the wetlands the end of the the grass marshes the end of all of our coastal ecosystems which are so fragile i mean what is this going to do to, to the canals and to the uh the Atchafalaya Swamp Basin and all of this area could be polluted forever, never to host life again. And they predicted that. And on our mission trip, with a, not mission trip, but it was one of our youth gatherings, big national youth gathering, we went down to New Orleans and some of our kids actually had to dig into the muck and plant little shoots of grass, marsh grass, to try to restore you know, the the wetlands, but it turns out the wetlands were restoring themselves. A couple of years after this massive disaster, scientists were scratching their heads and just kind of marveling at how efficiently the earth seemed to be cleaning itself, something we didn't think that could be done. In fact, Jacqueline Mickle, a, a geochemist who's worked on almost every major oil spill since the 1970s, uh, and as a member of a scientific support team for the Gulf spill, commented, and this is a quote, "...the marshes and grass are showing some of the highest progresses of oil degradation because of the wetness." This rapid degradation is partly due to an increased number of oil-consuming microbes, in the water whose population growth in response to the spill is cleaning things up at a relatively fast pace. So no matter how bad the damage nature's capacity to repair itself might prevent the unmitigated disasters that many feared on the first sight of the deep water spill. She even goes on to say, there are many spills where they do not respond at all because to respond would create more damage because nature is more efficient at repairing itself. Today, climate scientists and politicians have been working the news waves, calling for the doomsday, you know, the end of the world if we cannot get a handle on our carbon emissions and if we cannot embrace alternative energy sources fast enough, the planet will become completely uninhabitable. All life will be lost. Now, I know we can do better. I am not saying we should return to the past. But I'm also not feeling the panic because my entire life, so far, somebody has been setting a date out there and saying it was going to be the end of the world for the climate. My whole life. This will be the end. That will be the end. The next thing will be the end. We'll just bump it out another 20 years and call that the end. Deadlines passed by and we're still here. In fact, as far as I can tell, we've cleaned up more rivers and more wetlands We've cleaned the smog out of the city air, we've brought back the bald eagle from the brink of of extinction. I don't think the question is so much whether we're gonna destroy the planet, is whether in our fear and anxiety we're just gonna destroy one another. George Carlin once said, if it gets too bad, the earth will just cast us off like a bad case of fleas. Jesus' disciples were shocked, just shocked when he and they visited the temple mount and he said that temple would be torn down. To them, it sounded like that would be the end of the world, but it wasn't. And Jesus said, you know, don't get too caught up in all the dire predictions. A lot of people are going to come along and they're going to predict a lot of really bad things and try to get you stirred up and lead you off the path that I have set you on. He said, things happen. There are going to be natural disasters, earthquakes, floods, whatever, famines, epidemics, even wars. But none of these are the end of the story, not one, because the end of the story is life. The end of the story is life. God will not let you be destroyed or see the pit in God's right hand our blessings forevermore. Therefore, let us hold fast with confidence to the confession of our hope without wavering because the Lord is faithful. And let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good deeds, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as we see the day approaching. For we have a great high priest who has opened for us the door to eternal life and who has promised we will never be forsaken. Amen.
1: he ascended into heaven. He is seated at the right hand of the Godmother, and he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the local Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Listen to your children pray. Eternal God, you hold firm amid the changes of this world. Hear us now as we pray for the church, the world, and everyone in need. God, our creator, you show us the path of life. Bless faithful people everywhere with humility as they extend compassion to those who have experienced harm in religious spaces. Cultivate healthy congregations that tell of and enact your reconciling love. God, in your mercy. Hear our prayer. God, our constant. You love our universe from beginning to end. As the seasons change, protect animals that migrate and hibernate. Bring them safely to a sheltered place and a more abundant season. God, in your mercy. Hear our prayer. God, our ruler. You write your law on human minds and hearts. Give wisdom to all elected leaders and officials to govern with insight and compassion. Lord, in your mercy. Lord of every blessing, your son's blessing came to those living with poverty, grief, hunger, thirst, and persecution. Grant your blessing and healing to all who suffer and those we name before you now. Karen Banning, Dick Bennett, Charles Erickson, Norma Evanson, Ann Fritz, Bob Harms, Peggy Kessel, Patty Kipper, Barb Nichols, Marlena Smith, and all those we hold in our hearts. God in your mercy. Your mercy. God, our beginning and our end. Your beloved people shine like the brightness of the sky. We thank you for the lives of all who rest in your eternal mercy. Assure us of your resurrection promise. God, in your mercy, Hear our prayer. God, our hope and strength,
0: we entrust to you all for whom we pray. Remain with us always through Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen. The peace of the Lord be with you all. And also and I invite you to turn to your neighbor with words of peace.